0: Section 50 of Volume 1E of History of England From the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org Recording by TechSavvy www.techsavvy.wordpress.com History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 By David Hume, Volume 1E, Section 50 chapter sixty part three these were all the preparations which he could make against a kingdom settled in domestic peace supported by a disciplined army fully apprised of his enterprise and prepared against him some of his retainers having told him of a prophecy that to him and him alone it was reserved to restore the king's authority in all his dominions he lent a willing ear to suggestions which however ill-grounded or improbable were so conformable to his own daring character he armed several of the inhabitants of the orkneys through an unwarlike people and carried them over with him to caithness hoping that the general affection to the king's service and the fame of his former exploits would make the highlanders flock to his standard but all men were now harassed and fatigued with wars and disorders many of those who formerly adhered to him had been severely punished by the covenanters and no prospect of success was entertained in opposition to so great a force as was drawn together against him but however weak montrose's army the memory of past events struck a great terror into the committee of estates they immediately ordered leslie and holborn to march against him with an army of four thousand men Strahan was sent before with a body of cavalry to check his progress. He fell unexpectedly on the Montrose, who had no horse to bring him intelligence. The royalists were put to flight, all of them either killed or taken prisoners, and Montrose himself, having put on the disguise of a peasant, was perfidiously delivered into the hands of his enemies by a friend to whom he had entrusted his person all the insolence which success can produce in ungenerous minds was exercised by the covenanters against montrose whom they so much hated and so much dreaded theological antipathy further increased their indignities towards a person whom they regarded as impious on account of excommunication which had been pronounced against him leslie led him about for several days in the same low habit under which he had disguised himself the vulgar wherever he passed were instigated to reproach and vilify him when he came to edinburgh every circumstance of elaborate rage and insult was put in practice by order of the parliament at the gate of the city he was met by magistrates and put into a new cart purposely made with a high chair or bench where he was placed that the people might have a full view of him he was bound with a code drawn over the breast and shoulders and fastened through holes made in the cart the hangman then took off the hat of the noble prisoner and rode himself before the cart in his livery and with his bonnet on the other officers who had taken prisoners with the marquis walking two and two before them the populace more generous and humane when they saw so mighty a change of fortune in this great man so lately their dread and terror in whose hands the magistrates a few years before had delivered on their knees the keys of the city were struck with compassion and viewed him with silent tears and admiration the preachers next sunday exclaimed against this movement of rebel nature as they termed it and reproached the people with their profane tenderness towards the capital enemy of piety and religion when he was carried before the parliament which was then sitting Ludon, the chancellor in a violent declamation reproached him with the breach of national covenant which he had subscribed his rebellion against god the king and the kingdom and the many horrible murders treasons and impieties for which he was now to be brought to condign punishment montrose in his answer maintained the same superiority above his enemies to which by his fame and great actions as well as by the consciousness of a good cause he was justly entitled he told the parliament that since the king as he was informed and had so far avowed their authority as to enter into a treaty with them he now appeared uncovered before their tribunal a respect which while they stood in open defiance to their sovereign, they would in vain have required of him that he acknowledged with infinite shame and remorse the errors of his early conduct, when their plausible pretenses had seduced him to tread with them the paths of rebellion, and bear arms against his prince and country, that his following services, he hoped, had sufficiently testified his repentance. And his death would now atone for that guilt, the only one with which he could justly reproach himself that in all his warlike enterprises he was warranted by that commission which he had received from his and their master against whose lawful authority he had erected their standard that to venture his life for his sovereign was the least part of his merit he had even thrown down his arms in obedience to the sacred commands of the king and had resigned to them the victory which in defiance of all their efforts he was still unable to dispute with them that no blood had ever been shed by him but in the field of battle and many persons were now in his eye many now dared to pronounce sentence of death upon him whose life forfeited by the laws of war he had formerly saved from the fury of the soldiers that he was sore to find no better testimony of their return to allegiance than the murder of so faithful a subject in whose death the king's commission must be at once so highly injured and affronted that as to himself they had in vain endeavoured to vilify and degrade him by all their studied indignities the justice of his cause he knew would ennoble any fortune nor had he other affliction than to see the authority of his prince with which he was invested treated with so much ignominy that he was now joyfully followed by a like unjust sentence, his late sovereign, and should be happy if in his future destiny he could follow him to the same blissful mansions, where his piety and humane virtues had already, without doubt, secured him an eternal recompense. Montrose's sentence was next pronounced against him, that he, James Graham, for this was the only name they vouchsafed to give him, should next day be carried to Edinburgh Cross, and there be hanged on a gibbet, thirty feet high for the space of three hours then be taken down his head he cut off upon a scaffold and affixed to the prison his legs and arms be stuck up to the four chief towns of the kingdom his body be buried in the place appropriated for common malefactors except the church upon his repentance should take off his excommunication the clergy hoping that the terrors of immediate death had now given them an advantage over the enemy flocked about him and insulted over his fallen fortunes they pronounced his damnation and assured him that the judgment which was so soon to suffer would prove but an easy prologue to that which he must undergo hereafter they next offered to pray with him but he was too well acquainted with those forms of imprecation which they called prayers Lord vouchsafe yet to touch the obdurate heart of his profound incorrible sinner, this wicked, perjured, treacherous, and profane person, who refuses to hearken to the voice of thy church. Such they would, according to custom, offer up for him. He told them that they were a miserably deluded and deluding people and would shortly bring their country under the most insupportable servitude to which any nation had ever been reduced for my part added he i am much prouder to have my head affixed to the place where it is sentenced to stand than to have my picture hang in the king's bedchamber so far from being sorry that my quarters are to be sent to the four cities of the kingdom i wish i had limbs enow to be dispersed into all the cities of christendom there to remain as testimonies in favour of the cause for which i suffer this sentiment that very evening while in prison he threw into verse. the poem remains a single monument of his heroic spirit and no despicable proof of his poetical genius now was led forth amidst the insults of his enemies and the tears of the people this man of illustrious birth and of the greatest renown in the nation to suffer for his adhering to the laws of his country and the rights of his sovereign the ignominious death destined to the meanest malefactor every attempt which the insolence of the governing party had made to subdue his spirit had hitherto proved fruitless they made yet one effort more in this last and melancholy scene when all enmity arising from motives merely human is commonly softened and disarmed the executioner brought that book which had been published in elegant latin of his great military actions and tied it with a coat about his neck montrose smiled at his new instance of their malice he thanked them however for their officious zeal And said that he bore this testimony of his bravery and loyalty with more pride than he had ever worn the garter having asked whether they had any more indignities to put upon him and renewing some devout ejaculations he patiently endured the last act of the executioner thus perished in the thirty-eighth year of his age the gallant marquis of montrose the man whose military genius both by valour and conduct had shone forth beyond any which during these civil disorders had appeared in the three kingdoms the finer arts too he had in his youth successfully cultivated and whatever was sublime elegant or noble touched his great soul nor was he insensible to the pleasures either of society or of love something however of the vast and unbounded characterised his actions and deportment and it was merely by an heroic effort of duty that he brought his mind impatient of superiority and even of equality to pay such unlimited submission to the will of his sovereign the vengeance of the covenanters was not satisfied with montrose's execution a whose inconstancy now led him to take part with the king suffered about the same time Spottiswood of diarcy a youth of eighteen sir francis hay of dalgety and colonel sebald all of them of birth and character underwent a like fate these were taken prisoners with montrose the marquis of Hunty about a year before had also fallen a victim to the severity of the covenanters the past scene displays in a full light the barbarity of this theological faction the sequel will sufficiently display their absurdity the king in consequence of his agreement with the commissioners of scotland set sail for that country and being escorted by seven dutch ships of war who were sent to guard the Herring fishery he arrived in the frith of cromarty before he was permitted to land he was required to sign the covenant and many sermons and lectures were made him exhorting him to persevere in that holy confederacy hamilton lauderdale dumb and other noblemen of that party whom they called engagers were immediately separated from him and obliged to retire to their houses where they lived in a private manner without trust or authority none of his english friends who had served his father were allowed to remain in the kingdom the king himself found that he was considered as a mere pageant of state and that the few remains of royalty which he possessed served only to draw on him the greater indignities one of the quarters of montrose his faithful servant who had borne his commission had been sent to aberdeen and was still allowed to hang over the gates when he passed by that place the general assembly and afterwards the committee of estates and the army who were entirely governed by the assembly set forth a public declaration in which they protested that they did not espouse any malignant quarrel or party but fought merely on their former grounds or principles that they disclaimed all the sins and guilt of the king and of his house nor would they own him or his interest otherwise than with a subordination to god and so far as he owned and prosecuted the cause of god and acknowledged the sins of his house and of his former ways the king lying entirely at mercy and having no assurance of life or liberty further than he was agreeable to the fancy of these austere zealots was constrained to embrace a measure which nothing but the necessity of his affairs and his great youth and experience could excuse he issued a declaration such as they required of him he there gave thanks for the merciful dispensations of the providence by which he was recovered from the snare of evil counsel had attained a full persuasion of the righteousness of the covenant, and was in to cast himself and his interests only upon God. He desired to be deeply humbled and afflicted in spirit, because of his father's following wicked measures, opposing the covenant and the work of reformation, and shedding the blood of God's people throughout all his dominions. He lamented the idolatry of his mother and the toleration of it in his father's house, a matter of great offence he said to all the protestant churches and a great provocation to him who is a jealous god visiting the sins of the father upon the children he professed that he would have no enemies but the enemies of the covenant and that he detested all superstition prelacy heresy schism and profaneness and he was resolved not to tolerate much less to countenance any in any of his dominions He declared that he should never love or favor those who had so little conscience as to follow his interests in preference to the gospel and the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And he expressed his hope that whatever ill success his former guilt might have drawn upon his cause, yet now having obtained mercy to be on the God's side, and to acknowledge his own cause subordinate to that of God, divine providence would crown his arms with victory still the commandanters and the clergy were diffident of the king's sincerity the facility which he discovered in a yielding whatever was required of him made him suspect that he regarded all his concessions merely as ridiculous farces to which he must of necessity submit they had another trial prepared for him instead of the solemnity of his coronation which was delayed they were resolved that he should pass through a public humiliation and do penance before the whole people they sent him twelve articles of repentance which he was to acknowledge and the king had agreed that he would submit to his indignity the various transgressions of his father and grandfather together with the idolatry of his mother were again enumerated and aggravated in these articles and further declarations were insisted on that he sought the restoration of his rights for the sole advancement of religion and in subordination to the kingdom of christ in short having exalted the altar above the throne and brought royalty under their feet the clergy were resolved to trample on it and vilify it by every instance of contumely which their present influence enabled them to impose upon the unhappy prince charles in the meantime found his authority entirely annihilated as well as his character degraded he was consulted in no public measure he was not called to assist at any councils his favour was sufficient to discredit any pretender to office or advance all efforts which he made to unite the opposite parties increased the suspicion which the covenanters had entertained of him as if he were not entirely their own argyll who by subtilities and compliances partly led and partly was governed by this wild faction still turned a deaf ear to all advances which the king made to enter into confidence with him malignants and engagers continued to be objects of general hatred and persecution and whoever was obnoxious to the clergy failed not to have one or the other of these epithets affixed to him the fanaticism which prevailed being so full of sour and angry principles and so overcharged with various antipathies had acquired new objects of abhorrence these were the sorcerers so prevalent was the opinion of witchcraft that great numbers accused of that crime were burned by sentence of the magistrates throughout all parts of scotland
1: in a village near berwick which contained only fourteen houses fourteen persons were punished by fire and it became a science everywhere much studied and cultivated to distinguish a true witch by proper trials and symptoms The advance of the english army under cromwell was not able to appease or soften the animosities among the parties in scotland the clergy were still resolute to exclude all but the most zealous adherents as soon as the english parliament found that the treaty between the king and the scots would probably terminate in an accommodation they made preparations for war which they saw would in the end prove inevitable Cromwell, having broken the force and courage of the Irish, was sent for, and he left the command of Ireland to Ireton, who governed the kingdom in the character of deputy, and with vigilance and industry preserved in the work of subduing and expelling the natives. It was expected that Fairfax, who still retained the name of the general, would continue to act against Scotland, and appear at the head of the forces, a station for which he was well qualified, and where alone he made any figure. But Fairfax, though he had allowed the army to make use of his name in murdering their sovereign, and offering violence to the Parliament, had entertained unsurmountable scruples against invading the Scots, whom he considered as zealous, presbyterians, and united to England by the sacred bands of the Covenant he was further disgusted at the extremities to which he had already been hurried and was confirmed in his repugnance by the exhortations of his wife who had great influence over him and was herself much governed by the presbyterian clergy a committee of parliament was sent to reason with him and cromwell was of the number in vain did they urge that the scots had first broken the covenant by their invasion of england under hamilton and that they would surely renew their hostile attempts if not prevented by the vigorous measures of the commonwealth cromwell who knew the rigid inflexibility of fairfax in everything which he regarded as matter of principle ventured to solicit him with the utmost earnestness and even went so far as to shed tears of grief and vexation on the occasion no one could suspect any omission in the man who laboured so zealously to retain his general in that high office which he knew he himself was alone entitled to fill the same warmth of temper which made cromwell a frantic enthusiast rendered him the most dangerous of hypocrites and it was to his turn of mind as much as to his courage and capacity that he owed all his wonderful successes by the contagious ferment of his zeal, he engaged every one to cooperate with him in his measures, and entering easily and affectionately into every part which he was disposed to act, he was enabled, even after multiplied deceits, to cover under a tempest of passion, all his crooked schemes and profound artifices. End of section 50, chapter 60, part 3, recording by www.techsavvy.wordpress.com